0: have an issue with these pineapple pieces. Let's um, get a few out for analysis. Can you see that? <laughs> How there's like a layer of chocolate over another layer of chocolate. To paraphrase Winston Churchill, a riddle wrapped in a mystery, then wrapped in another layer of chocolate. No, way. Like, there cannot be just like a normal pineapple lump. And then this company has just covered it. <laughs> with their own chocolate. But that's exactly what happened.
1: A premium range of handcrafted, reimagined Kiwi classics made using a 25-year-old family recipe. That's how Potter Brothers Chocolates have pitched their products. And now they
0: could be in big trouble. The Commerce Commission is making inquiries into a Kiwi chocolate company after accusations they're repurposing other lollies and claiming they're handcrafted. People would feel a a bit ripped off when they think they're buying this lovely
1: local product. The owners say they were young, excitable and naive when they started the business and they didn't consider how the words they used to describe their goods may be inappropriate.
0: Kia ora, I'm Bonnie Harrison, and today on The Detail, the Potter Brothers' chocolate saga. From a crockpot and a dream, to potentially facing action from the Commerce Commission. How important is it that products are what they say on the tin, and what counts as handmade these days anyway? Stuart Soman Lund is a writer for the spin-off, and was the first person to report on the pineapple chew scandal.
2: It actually, I think, kicked off back in 2020 when a woman named Courtney Adele, who ended up being a finalist on The Great Kiwi Bake Off, posted a series of uh, videos and photos to her Instagram story. Uh, where she kind of uncoated this Potter Brothers pineapple chew and found what looked pretty identical to a traditional pineapple lump underneath it.
0: Look at the top of that. Doesn't that look familiar to, like, a normal pineapple lump?
2: There were some negative reviews, and uh, Courtney tried to get to the bottom of it herself back in 2020, sent a few, um, I think, DMs to Potter Brothers that didn't exactly get to the bottom of what was actually going on. They certainly didn't admit to what was being claimed, um, but they were pretty aggressive in their responses to what was a pretty genuine question from, at the time, a, a concerned customer. You know, they were basically saying, hypothetically, if I melted down a Whitaker's peanut slab and called that handmade, would that not be okay? But because it was Instagram, and because it was an Instagram story, it didn't really get picked up back then. And then the other week, the spinoff released a ranking of knockoff off pine- Pineapple lumps and put Potter Brothers at number one, and that reminded Courtney about it all. So she chucked it on TikTok,
0: and within days it had close to a million views. So these pineapple chews, I think, is what it says on the tin, they are what? So this is confectionery made by a small company, the Potter Brothers.
2: Yeah, so they talk about on their website being a family business, a couple of brothers um, from Levin who have got a small factory there that started in, I believe, 2017, And they talk about this 25-year-old family chocolate recipe. They talk about being sort of reimagined Kiwi classics, or at least that's how they originally marketed themselves until they were called out, or at least until the story got a bit of traction in the last few days. That is
0: a hilarious slip if this is the case that they're not really reimagining, they are repurposing.
2: Yeah, well, they changed their wording after our first report from instead of saying reimagined Kiwi classics to saying something along the lines of Kiwi classics coated in our
0: chocolate. Since the story came out, the Potter brothers have updated a bunch of their marketing. But for some time, they were selling their pineapple chews under the banner Handmade for around 6 bucks for 130 grams, That's compared to around $2.50 for your classic pineapple lumps. They're even cheaper if you buy them from the pick-and-mix section of your local supermarket. Dr Marilyn Giroux is a senior lecturer in marketing from the University of Auckland. I asked her why the label
3: Handmade sells so well. Well, because it shows it's a bit more special. It's something that's a little bit more scarce in terms of scarcity. So there's less of that quantity of product and goes often with the quality of the product. So it's something a bit more premium the ingredients could be a bit more healthy in the sense of less preservative um, and a fresher often also so that's that's one of the reason why you would want this to people to think that you have source products so you know where the product is coming from you know you're able to trace the product the the Potter brothers the maker of this chocolate
0: they posted this video uh, once the story was kind of blowing up a little bit they posted a video of their kitchen where they make the products and they were saying you know look at these staff all these mums and dads local people
1: in this short video you'll see how we
0: now make our pineapple chews and you'll get to see the faces behind the product locals mum and dad family we're sympathetic to that, are we, as customers?
3: We are, definitely. They say about an increase of 25% towards local products. So people are really sympathetic of, like, I want to like, help my neighbor. I want to help the single mom. I want to help the economy. I want to make sure that the money that I'm putting in is also staying in New Zealand.
0: So a customer shopping for chocolate, looking at two different options between a locally made
3: product and an
0: international brand. Even if the local one's more expensive, they might
3: reach for the local one. Definitely. And we can see the, the best example is Whitaker's, right? Like we uh, – people are pro- – of Whitaker's because it's New Zealand made. Uh, it's something that internationally we are proud of representing us even. So it's almost like a, a reflection of who we are as as a country. So a lot of people will prefer to, to buy Whitaker's versus other brands like Cadbury. When I hear the
0: term handmade, and I wonder if you can kind of tell me what you see, what I see is
3: a home chef in a home kitchen, humble kind of small... A small space. I definitely see something small and I see something very authentic. Handmade could be, yeah, your neighbor starting this, doing it from uh, the start to the, the end of the product. So I really see this often locally. Mm, like you're in, there in the garage working on something. Yes. And it's really special and it's something that I should be proud of buying or happy to buy. Back to Stuart.
2: You'd have to hope it's not something common but a, but you know a massive story for the spin-off not that long ago I think back in 2018 was this was the fashion company world New Zealand made uh clothing company that was caught out uh buying mass produced products online altering them in New Zealand and then calling it a New Zealand product putting on these lo- these labels that say
0: Fabric en Nouvelle Zélande right Yes it
2: does,
3: but... Look, I have to point but, out... But the
0: fabric's that not on nouvelle Zealand, is it?
3: No.
2: And then, you know, saying, well, that's because the product was pieced together, effectively, in New Zealand. And at the time when that happened, uh, the Commerce Commission did say that the company world was wrong to be doing that. So there is precedent for the Commerce Commission to basically come out and slap a company on the wrist for for doing this. But certainly you'd hope it's not widespread. I can't think of any other you know examples of this happening really
0: isn't it that eater the chip manufacturer supplies to snacka changi
2: introducing
0: snacka changi potato chips
2: yeah i think the difference there is that that's pretty disclosed people know that that's what they're doing it's on their packaging so if you look for the small print, you'll actually realise what's going on. Rather than you know, there's rather than in this case with Potter Brothers, there appears to be no evidence on the packaging that their products aren't fully handcrafted. Sure, you might be able to work it out if you look at the ingredients, but that it's not as um, black and white. I guess is is properly disclosing what's gone on.
0: Right. So it's the it's the
2: honesty. That's certainly what customers were telling us is that we're just. We just want them to be honest about what they're doing. We're happy to buy the product if we know what we're actually buying because it's yum. But just tell us because otherwise, you know, you're, you're labelling something as handcrafted when most of the work has been done by a big confectionery firm.
0: But most of the work being the measure, that's pretty tough to actually figure out. At what point can you really say if you've taken out a piece here and you've added something else in here, at what point has the, the essence of the thing changed?
2: I think in the case of the pineapple chews, what particularly angered people was the fact that it was literally, it had already been coated in chocolate, and so it was a double coat rather than just buying a pineapple piece and coating it. You know, it was that sort of, they've literally bought a product that's already been manufactured and already been sold as is and recoated it. But certainly we've spoken to, uh, or we published a piece, I mean, from a from a chocolate expert basically saying that there are, varying levels of what is considered chocolate if you go and look for it so taking aside the issue around the handcrafted label some chocolate is literally made from you know roasting cacao beans doing the whole process from bean to bar some chocolate companies are literally just using what's basically compound chocolate vegetable fan a bit of cocoa powder and calling that chocolate both are absolutely fine in their own right, but again, it comes down to the way that they're being marketed.
0: Yes, it's literally like what the the Potter Brothers Facebook page sent Courtney, the person who kind of blew the whistle on this back in 2020 over Facebook. Do you relentlessly question Colonel Sounders for his herbs and spices? Maybe make sure they aren't from pre-made herb mix from the shop, is what they said. And I mean, that's that's it's funny, but it's a yeah. really good point. I mean, how much of the process should you be doing yourself? Are you going to mill the flour? Are you going to you know, <laughs> have the chickens and get the eggs from them if you're going to bake a cake? I, mean, I think that that's
2: possibly what the next step in this story is, whether it's for me or someone else to look into in a report, is really around that standard, because I don't know if it does exist. I think it's almost like a moral standard. People want to know what they're buying. And if you say on the package that you know this is compound chocolate or you say on the package that this is they've added and you've added another coat to something that already exists and people know what they're buying that kind of feels morally right i think it's the fact that people were not aware of what was happening so yeah in terms of something like kfc or you know their example of hypothetically melting down a peanut slab i think it is this is just it feels like there's a moral standard that needs to be met but whether there's a legal one, that's certainly, you know, the Commerce Commission say they've had at least three complaints about this. They're not necessarily investigating it. But if they do, we might get a bit closer to knowing what the, what the actual standard is. Lies. Don't tell lies.
1: That's effectively what the Fair Trading Act says.
0: That's John Duffy, the chief executive of Consumer NZ.
1: I understand there are complaints that have been laid with the Commerce Commission, which has the power under the Fair Trading Act to, to do effectively a criminal investigation into this activity and, and work out whether it's a breach of the law or not. A
0: criminal proceeding for potentially a pineapple lump wrapped in chocolate sounds ludicrous.
1: Well, there's, yeah, there, I should caveat that by saying there's, there's a fair bit of water that would need to pass under the British before mm. the Commerce Commission would lay um, what's called an information against the Potter brothers for, for this activity. So firstly, the Commerce Commission would have to go all right, stacked up against all the other complaints that we've got on our list at the moment. And I can tell you from the complaints that Consumer NZ has recently put into uh, the Commerce Commission, there are probably some more important ones on the list. Do we feel that it's in the public interest for us to be taking enforcement action against this company for this activity? If the answer to that question is yes, they then go, okay, well, what's a proportionate level of enforcement action? We could just write them a letter and tell them to stop it and maybe they'll stop it, and therefore that's a good result. We haven't spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going to court to prosecute this. And then, in some some circumstances, perhaps they want to establish some case law, or perhaps you know the conduct is of such a serious nature, and, and people do take pineapple lumps quite seriously um, that they go, well, all right, we're going to we're going to throw the book at these people and um, see if the court agrees with us that this is a breach of the Fair Trading Act."
0: What is the big deal here? How is this against the law
1: potentially? It is potentially misleading to describe something as, as handmade when it's not. And if you think about the price premium that attaches to products that we think have some sort of you know, bespoke, unique, handcrafted, artisan quality to it, you can certainly charge a, a premium for those types of products. So consumers, if they're paying that premium for a product that's not matching the characteristics of handmade, are being ripped off. And that's what the Fair Trading Act's all about. It's all about consumers being provided with good information so they can make accurate purchasing decisions and don't waste money on things that are being misdescribed effectively.
0: Is there a legal definition of of handmade in New Zealand?
1: There's nothing exactly on point, but there was a case back in the 90s where the warehouse was fined for some advertising that said they were selling handcrafted rugs from Poland. And in fact, these were mass-produced rugs that weren't handcrafted at all. So they were convicted of breaching the Fair Trading Act.
0: But I guess what counts as handcrafted? Because the the way that I see it, and I think maybe what... um Potter Brothers and possibly some other chocolate makers in New Zealand are maybe grappling with now, is that it's really quite a grey area. I imagine there are a lot of home run and small businesses that are thinking, gosh, I ship in, maybe if I'm a, I'm a jeweller, I ship in beads from AliExpress or some cheap mass producer, and then I add my own little flavour to it, I string them on a necklace, I paint them, whatever. I mean, is that still handmade? Could you still accurately call that handmade? I mean, I mean heck, if you make a jumper out of wool from a store... You know, you didn't make that wool.
1: You didn't make the wool, but you, made, you turned the wool into a jumper. So you gave that jumper its essential characteristic, which is the fact that it's a jumper, right? So no one would look at a ball of wool and go, that's a jumper. But they would hopefully look at your handcrafted, hand-knitted jumper and go, well, that's a hand-knitted jumper. So I, I think the jumper example versus the raw product that it's made out of is is, is kind of at the easy end of the scale but i absolutely accept and this this is where the courts actually struggle and and to be fair this is probably where the commerce commission struggles as well uh when they're making decisions around whether they commit resource to taking a case where it's not particularly clear cut you know there there definitely are gray areas and one of the the good and i guess the bad things in some cases about our law is That, you know, typically it's judges making decisions in real time about what they think uh, is misleading and isn't misleading. And there are advantages to that in that, you know, 33 years ago when that handcrafted rug decision was made, I think it was 1990, the morals of society at that time and what people considered to be handcrafted were applied to the facts of that case you know, those moral judgments and, and, and the perception of what the word handcrafted means might have changed. It, it may not have, but it, it it may have evolved over those 33 years. And bringing a 2023 lens to it, a judge might say, well, actually, no one's actually going to believe this, it's particularly in the context of, of the advertising as it, was, as it was set out.
0: We nowadays, you know, handmade might really mean very little at all, because barely anything is handmade anymore.
1: Well, precisely. Or, or actually, take the thought experiment a step further and go back pre-industrial revolution. And if you went to, I don't know, a blacksmith or something like that and went, are your fire pokers handmade? They'd look at you funny and go, well, everything's handmade in the entire world. What, what are you talking about? Machines, we don't know the concept of a machine, right? So that's a really good example. And our law goes back that far, right? So that's a really good example of how a term probably evolved post-industrial revolution, to differentiate mass-produced items from something that's done at a more, more of a craft or artisan level.
0: So the Potter Brothers may have stretched the truth, but it's not just the word handmade that's being used by companies to draw customers in.
1: I think this is extremely prevalent, and we are seeing an absolute tsunami of green claims, ethics claims kind of virtue signalling that just can't be backed up by the, by the people doing the marketing or making the products. And, you know, in the green space particularly, we're actually seeing through our market research that, okay, cost of living outranks all of the issues because hierarchy of needs, you need to put food on the table, but there is a growing awareness that the climate is changing and it is having going to have negative impacts on society. So if you're producing a product and you're hanging your marketing on its sustainability... You are you are tapping into the desire and consumers to do the right thing by the planet and not make things worse, and that's a real marketing advantage. You you need to be able to back that up. So look at Z Energy, for example. So they've been claiming for for a while in their advertising that you know it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. We see you moving with the times, Althea, and so we're moving with you. Yet they're a petrol company, right? They're selling, they're selling the, the key fossil fuel, right? So they're, they're they're marketing the fact that they are looking to transition away from fossil fuels at some point in the future, but they're cashing in on that marketing. Then you get um, companies like Botanica who make Airwick room spray. The generality of the claims on Airwick are that they're nature inspired and planet conscious.
0: Nature does her best work when humanity takes a backseat. So that's what Botanica did.
1: You know, that's so vague and meaningless that it actually, you know, it's just there to give you a a warm fuzzy. You know, the impression that this type of advertising has on the consumer is that it's good for the environment, but that's not necessarily the case.
0: So could these big players get stung by a Commerce Commission claim? Or is it really just too, like, at some point they're going to just expect customers, like, don't get roped in by these things?
1: That's a great question, because the danger is that customers become just so jaded by this. I guess it's the danger for marketers that they they become so cynical that they disbelieve anything that has any sort of nebulous claim-like nature inspired on it and don't pay attention to it. But actually, we know from kind of psychology that people are looking for shortcuts. They're looking for signals that will make their decision-making easier. And so when you quickly read something is nature inspired, and it's got a beautiful picture of a flowery meadow on the front, and maybe it's in I know brown cardboard packaging um, or something like that. Those are all cues that subconsciously signal to us, well, consciously and subconsciously signal to us that hey, this is this is good, this is a safe choice. You might be paying a little bit more, but you know you can feel good about what you're doing for the environment. So that's why, yes, you know it's important for enforcement agencies like the Commerce Commission to take cases against both big and small players in the market to set those boundaries. The problem we have, I guess, for an organisation like the Commerce Commission here in New Zealand is that the claims are evolving so quickly and marketers know exactly what they're doing here. They know exactly what signals they need to send to consumers that, you know, the moment you decide, okay, we're going to draw a line in the sand here and we're going to prosecute, I don't know, this pineapple lump company or this air freshener company or, or, or whoever it is for a, for, a, for a claim, three years later you finally get your day in court. The moment has gone. The whole industry moved on to the next fad of claim and you've got to start that process all over again. So it's really difficult for an organisation like the Commerce Commission to actually keep up with the pace that these practices are evolving.
0: I think an interesting part of the Potter Brothers saga is that the final comeuppance really, was the court of public opinion. If the regulator's not going to move fast enough, I mean, should we be more reliant on people taking it upon themselves to flame businesses who aren't being honest?
1: Well, I mean, there is a, there is a degree of that being a good thing, right, as long as it's evidence-based. As a consumer, you need to be aware that if you go on a rant on social media and that gets traction and you're wrong well, A, there could be legal repercussions for you, but B, you know, you could bring a business down. That is the power that consumers hold. So, so you do want to consider your moves carefully before you do that. But let's say you're right and you are calling out a company for dishonest behavior. Well, that's awesome. That's, you know, it's not often we get to say good things about social media, but that is that is, you know, that is one good thing, right? You can get a message out quickly. And if that message is fair and legitimate, well, that's cool. A lot of the
2: traffic from our story was coming from Google, so people are searching for this company and finding out this. The story will get around. I imagine that they're hoping now that they've owned up, they've said that they're going to be making their products in-house, and they've said that most of their products are already made in-house. So I think they're just going to be hoping that they can win people back and earn a bit of the trust lost.
0: If you can get your hands on some, will you be trying the new and improved pineapple chew recipe?
2: Yeah, I think I will, and I guess that's also an argument that's being made yeah. that maybe this is marketing
0: yeah. people want to try it now they want to know
2: yeah and I think that's fine like I don't feel I don't feel that reporting on this and potentially giving them a boost was a bad thing because it was still a story that needed to be told and if it benefits them in the long run plus the fact that they've actually owned up to their mistake and are now you know trying to set things right good on them I reckon
0: The Commerce Commission has now received four inquiries about Potter Brothers Chocolates making misleading claims. After assessing those claims, it'll decide whether to open an investigation. That's it for today. I'm Bonnie Harrison. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Stuart Soman-Lund, Dr Marilyn Giroux and John Duffy. Matewa.